welcome back listeners and thanks Emil for tuning in to another episode of Glow West where we chat all about the wonderful world of sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host Dr Caroline West and as always I am delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack to help keep the mics up and running. Or if you like, please pop over to Apple and now Spotify to rate and review. If you want to get in touch, the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So today I am super excited for my guests because they have written this most incredible new book and we hope that all our listeners run out and buy it because I think, again, it's really nice to have this kind of knowledge put out there in the world in a very lovely, accessible way so that's absolutely fantastic to see. So today I am talking to Saba Chowdhury who is a reluctant activist on most things trans, brown and hairy. They are also a public speaker, writer and psychotherapist in training. They are proud trans youth workers since 2014 at Gendered Intelligence, a trustee of Inclusive Mosque Initiative and co-founder of Colours Youth Network supporting LGBTQ BPOC young people in the UK. They are also the winner of the Gay Times Future Fighters Honour 2021 and author of the brand new amazing book, Supporting Trans People of Colour, How to Make Your Practice Inclusive. So Sabbath, thank you for coming along and happy book birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, It's fabulous to have you on. Have you slept, by the way, (laughs) because it's a busy time. No, I definitely took the whole weekend off. Um, I was like the horizontal for most of it, just Good. eating fried chicken and watching reality TV trash. Oh, but yeah, thank you so much. Incredible. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. I'm really excited to have um, to be on Glow West. Thank you. Fabulous. No, thank you. And I'm just, I'm so happy this book exists there in in the world because I think you know we're learning a lot more about trans people. But again, it's those nuances about um, trans people of color and the different struggles. Um, and experiences that are there and that do often get raised in, in some of the discourse um, around trans rights and things like that. So can you do, I suppose you'll we'll start at the start of, you know, why you were drawn to writing this particular book. You know, it's a, it's funny because people ask like, yeah, what, what you know, when did you decide to do this book and what brought you to writing it? And honestly, like I didn't really, I didn't really think about writing it. Um, there wasn't ever like a moment where I was like, ah, oh, this is the book I'm going to write that needs to be out in the world. It was it was just it was just all the the experiences i was having and all the situations i was in like the book was already there in my mind like i was already thinking about okay why am i still feeling like the only trans person well why am i the only trans person of color or trans person in this organization and why why isn't this changing you know i'd see like in different you know organizations community groups and other places just the the similar kind of patterns repeating in which there would be like the yeah one trans person of color or the or the work for trans people of color was just not getting prioritized or it wasn't getting the funding wasn't continuing or it was just there was just not enough being done to really change some things um so i what did i do i was living in brighton at the time and i had it was just after i'd come out as trans and i think that was a real, um, obviously it was a real turning point for me, but it was, it was, it was a turning point for so many other reasons. It made me so aware of myself in the sense of like, oh, okay, so I'm trans. I feel like this at the time I felt like I came out as a trans man, 
but it wasn't just that it was like okay so now I'm a trans man okay so huh like masculinity being a man what is that and then I just then I kind of dove into feminism and I was like right so I'm a feminist and then I was like but still I feel like I'm navigating the world a different way and then I kind of quote unquote realized that I was brown and this other kind of layer was there and I was like okay right so I'm a brown I'm brown I'm a person of color so now I'm all these things and where am I now in the world? Like, what, how do I position myself? How do I relate to the people around me? Um, so it was a really, yeah, a lot changed and in great ways and, and also quite tough ways, you know, realizing that I'm all these things, hooray. And then realizing, oh, the world isn't really built for people like me. So, huh, now now what? So I, um, I didn't say I started writing because I've been writing since I was, well, as long as I can remember since I was a child. But I started writing publicly and just that kind of led me into public speaking. And then I, yeah, I, I think people started listening, but people who had similar experiences to me, people who looked like me, and that was what I really wanted. Um, I wanted to, I wanted, I needed to find people like me and to know that I am not alone in this and just to have that kind of validation. Um, and I talk about this a lot, like I think, well, for a lot of the work I've done, you know, all the community work I've done, it's just been driven by desperation. I was so desperate to 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 get this message out there. You know, I would talk about it constantly on panels and events and steering groups, and I just was getting tired. I got tired. Um, so I wrote a, a little guide called Inclusivity Supporting Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, Trans People. Um, and that was a free, um, it was a free guide. It was a free resource that I um, had the financial support of by an organization called, why did I introduce it when I don't, might not remember the entire acronym, G-I-R-E-S, Gender Identity Research Education Society. Well done. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, they also, you know, they, done, they do a lot of um, educational research around trans lives and they, were, they saw what I was doing and they were like, Let's help us raise awareness and have something together that's educational about the lives of trans people of color so this little guide came to be and um that was what caught the attention of um of the publishers who who supported me in writing this book um so yeah it was it's funny because the idea of the book came from somebody else it came from what yeah white and cis people people who aren't trans people of color but I don't know. I yeah, I don't know what would have happened if I would have written something like this anyway. But I'm I'm really glad it's out there because I just I you know I'm looking at this book and I'm just like oh god like everything I've ever wanted to say about these kind of starting steps to inclusive practices in there, and I wanted that to be, I wanted it to exist in there and and be there for other trans people of color as well. Like I I I just yeah I I know I'm tired. I know uh, you know my friends are tired so. Let's. I just want to make things a little bit easy by like yeah. being able to give them this thing. And you don't have to personally do it. Then you're like, just read the book. It's fine. It's all in there. Well, like you said, like that that exhaustion is there for a lot of activists because you're paving that way. I mean, for the people coming up behind you, at least they have the book, but you had to figure all that out for yourself at that level. So it's not. It's never fair, but at least like you are, you know, creating such a lovely resource out there for um trans people of color that that you know they don't have to hopefully have the same path that you had in that sense and I, it, mm-hmm. it, it's really hard 
you know it, like you said all those layers of like figuring out your trans and, and everything else and but you you also have the extra layer as a person of color and you know um figuring out the words you talk about you know the, the words for gender in your language and that your parents didn't think about gender the same way maybe you know um gen z or millennial might think about um language and, and things like that so um how do you think you know that impacts the ability for for trans people of color to come out then if you if you've never grown up with that language to to understand what's going on because of and and the cultural aspect as well it it's it seems like that's like a whole extra hurdle to have to overcome it is an extra hurdle and and but i yeah i, I say that but i don't think i quite believe it it's an, it is a hurdle because yeah when we don't have the language to know how to describe ourselves and yeah, it makes it harder to understand ourselves. But what I'm what I'm thinking about is all the all the other kind of missing representation that's out there, which I think if we had if I had the the trans representation that is actually out there when I was in my early twenties, then I would have had so many more words and many more ways of understanding myself. You know, I would see that there are South Asian, queer and Muslim trans people and I wouldn't feel so tied to these to these words which are very western or very binary um yeah and i think in that way like language can be like a key it can give us like you know a, a, another path or it unlocks something for us so yeah it's a hurdle for us personally but also it's about like yeah i guess it's a responsibility on society like who are we pushing to the forefront of what we think trans people look like and and you know who they who we think they are and yeah re representation matters i guess i don't have to tell you that but yeah, yeah it really does absolutely yeah and, and well and I, I suppose you know those conversations about the right way to be trans and stuff and like the police and that goes on sometimes as well but i suppose you you also talk about it in the book and i think it's really interesting about that the western concepts of gender and how we might see things as a third gender whereas you know you often talk about the reality of there's so many different genders out there in the world and different ways to view gender but obviously colonialism has impacted how we understand that and you know the western views of gender are very strictly binary you have a male and a female and that that was it for the longest time so it kind of suffocates down all those different representations so mm. um how like how do we how do we start even tackling that i know you know you do talk about that in the book a little bit as well yeah and it's still like I, i'm still trying to get my head around it like how um fluid and, and variable and expansive gender is across the world and there's still so much I don't know like just just you know including this bit in the book was just the tip of the iceberg and and even and, and also it's sinking in like how new like relatively new like binary genders are and our our kind of stereotypes about you know masculinity and feminine femininity are like like these these things are pretty pretty recent in our kind of existence as as a as a human as human beings and i don't know i feel like we're just kind of stuck in in that we can't quite seem to imagine anything beyond and i, I don't know i think i think for me the one thing that's really helped me in understanding myself and understanding other people has been letting go of things that are fixed and like letting go of the fact that of trying to control 
my myself, my identity, and really, really like leaning into everything is changing. Like everything is constantly changing. Um, my identity isn't fixed. Like I, like I said, I had you know I came out as a trans man, and I think my sexuality was also quite fixed as well. And then as I started to, um, I guess you know have these kind of keys, you know, use find other language to uh, describe myself. It just unlocked like oh, actually, these things are much more movable. I'm way more closer to gender fluid and my sexuality is way more, way more open as well. And as is my faith as well. And I think that's just helped me to feel less, I don't know, less, I guess, threatened when something comes along and it doesn't fit like a the fixed thing or view that I had because I'm like, oh yeah, of course, like these things change. And I also like, I'm looking at this spectrum and actually it goes on, beyond what I can see it's infinite and I don't know what's there so and I actually I'm saying this and I think there's a part of like my own spirituality you know as as a Muslim that's also in there around not knowing everything and being kind of okay with that um but that's a journey and it's it's really it's really hard um and actually as I was talking I was also thinking about this massive change that we've had to deal with in the last two years which is a pandemic yeah we did, we're what 13 minutes in and we got the c word in there but yeah you just there's no escaping it yeah, yeah. yeah exactly but that you know that that concept of sexuality as fluid is so exciting for many people that you know we can explore and gender being fluid as well and you know that there there is like this spectrum that's out there and we don't have to understand it all like we're all learning all the time and listening to each other all the time do you think that's part of where um some kind of anti-trans sentiment comes from and obviously um turfs are not welcome on this podcast um but you know that idea of like people hold on to concrete beliefs sometimes and they they there is um it's a false security but they feel that there's security in knowing it's this and this and that is it and and it's it's almost like a fear and and like a feeling of having their worldview being threatened by the fact that no your gender is not stable and no your sexuality is not stable either but you know maybe it's some kind of projection or something going on like it's just they're very vocal people like <laughs> jesus they don't they need a hobby but um yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yeah all of the things you said and it, it, yeah i think fear can really yeah fear can be really sticky and really sink in seep into a lot of aspects of how we are and and how we relate to the people I mean, yeah, there is definitely a safety in, in, yeah, in knowing what something is and completely and that being it. Um, I, d yeah, I don't know. I can't make assumptions about, about what people, the anti-trans people do think or why they think that way. But, um, I think it's, it is just, it takes it takes a particular moment for you to, to be able to sit down with yourself. Not everyone gets that. And, um, like I'm thinking about even me as a therapist, like not everyone is ready to come to therapy and and have that moment of like being with themselves. Um, and that's okay. But I, it's just when that starts, when that hurts other people, when that impacts other people, then then something needs to change for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, in the queer community yourselves, there can be um, a hierarchy and a, and 
an anti not well yeah an anti-trans approach sometimes you know we've done things on the podcast before um with um Pradeep he talked about sexual racism and how people viewed Indians and um you know coming as an Indian gay man you know he was very much lower on the pecking order in the Irish queer scene anyway um but then you know queer trans people of color was a whole extra level and stuff and there is like there are kind of hierarchies so I know you talk about in the book about putting the t first um in 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 our alphabet soups of of sexuality and stuff and and why do you why do you have that excellent sounding chapter um that that really kind of is important to have that conversation too Mm. You know, that um, that kind of phrase actually came from when me and uh, a group of trans friends, we started Trans Pride Brighton back in, oh, was it 2013, I think? Um, Way and we back, were... a million years ago at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were, we got together and it was like another year of uh, Brighton, kind of big pride as we called it, had just failed to protect trans people, failed to include us in their in their planning. Unfortunately, it, some of the discussions were around toilets, but trans people are not just about toilets. <laughs> but it was just- That's the only place you ever live, <laughs> in a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, yeah, they, they just failed to protect us and, and listen to us when we said, this is not okay, this has hurt us and so on. So yeah, we were just done. And then, and we wanted to put the two first. We felt like we were an afterthought. We were at the end of this, of this um, acronym and we really felt like it, you know, just forgotten, you know, people didn't know what it stood for. Um, And uh, so that was how this, yeah, Trans Pride in Brighton came about. That's fantastic. And what kind of responses have you had to that then? Wow. um, I mean, we, we were like thinking it was going to be this little, little herd of like visibly trans and gender non-conforming people like walking up, Brighton with wind, like winds and seagulls and grey skies. I mean, that's this is this is Brighton. Yeah. Um, I and, used to live uh, there. Those seagulls are vicious. Like, you don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you want them on your side. <laughs> we just had this idea. It was just going to be yeah, a bit. Well, I sorry, I had this. I was I had this idea because I was scared. Actually, I was like, this isn't going to be okay here. People aren't going to get it. We're just it's yeah. It's it feels really bleak, but we did not anticipate like the thousands of people who turned up on the first on the first year and it wasn't just trans people it was that we had support from and engagement from it was cis people it was people who worked in the council it was families it was you know all, like ev- like everyone it felt like everybody want- wanted and needed this event to happen for trans people for their, them as a trans person for their friends or loved ones as a trans person for their colleagues like just for their you know their passion for community so it was inc- it was incredibly overwhelming and so affirming um and i was um it's still going i i i was on the um committee for maybe four or five years and, and then i left brighton but yeah it's um yeah it's been it's been incredible that's fantastic to see because again you know that visibility is really important and there's still some people saying why do you need pride anymore like you don't need pride at all and it's like even that narrative of like 
you're only just having trans pride a couple of years it's that you're only just getting started because you talk as well in the book about that visibility it's almost a double-edged sword of it's dangerous but also importance it's like how do you find the balance between that and maybe trans pride is maybe one element of managing that visibility in a safe way Mm. and I've spoken to um so, so I've been even though I'm not on the committee and, and I don't have um I don't organize it or anything now I do I've been back there a few times with our trans youth groups and I've spoken to a few trans young people about it and I th- one of the one thing someone said was that like they they felt they felt safe there like compared to being just a trans person on the street and it was just like because there was such a huge crowd of us there were so many of us and there is something so there was something and is something so powerful about about that kind of presence and about that kind of show of love and support and happiness um and just um celebration that is so it feels so unstoppable and uh, yeah visibility is is so tricky so we talk you know about you know that visibility and that safety and you you do talk about safe spaces in the book and like you mentioned earlier the bathroom thing it's like that's the only conversation it's you know it's either a joke online of like oh you need a safe space or it's a bathroom conversation and it's like how do we get past those two tiny tiny elements of an everyday life I mean how many times a day do you need to pee it's only a handful of times but like that's where all the conversation is focused on but like how do how then like what is a safe space for a, a trans person of color mm, it's yeah the the toilet the toilet debates are so infuriating because it makes it seem like trans inclusion is this really easy process so it's very reductive when yeah. I, and slap I a think, sticker up on a toilet door and you're done yeah exactly trans people are safe now and i think to go to go beyond that you have to understand like why this particular space matters and yeah it is about safety it's about having being respected, being having the freedom to go where you need to go to have a space that's, yeah, going to be for you. And, um, you know, it's not just, yeah, single gender facilities are needed in, in so many other places. And sometimes then they're, they're not needed as well. It's just about really understanding, listening to who are those trans people in your uh, organization, in your building that need these facilities and what are their needs, instead of trying to make an assumption about yeah, about about what they need instead, and not doing that like last minute. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm speaking from a, a, like a like a place where where you know it, it, I've been in that position. And it's just like the conversation needs to be happening if you're going to be renovating a building or redesigning a floor. The com- like talk to the trans person or the trans people or the steering group or whoever. Like before anything happens, otherwise that doesn't make it doesn't it doesn't feel inclusive it doesn't make it, it doesn't feel like you're really making a difference it does feel like yeah we were that afterthought mm. but now you just kind of want us are like um a kind of blessing about having this bathroom here well can can you change it no okay well then i guess yeah, that will do point? yeah <laughs> i feel it feels like that's kind of a tick box exercise sometimes of like oh we gotta we gotta do this that's fine and you know you you speak about the idea of looking intersectional versus actually being intersectional and intersectional and diversity you know they can be buzzwords and you talk about that too and you know people are have now got like diversity officers and, and things like this but it's still not quite changing the world as much as we would hope it to be so what do you mean by the the looking intersectional part 
Well, I think it's quite easy to, because I, um, I think it's quite easy to show that you are thinking about different minority groups and marginalized people because of how I think how a lot of we're so much on social media and just our online worlds and it's yeah it kind of goes back to visibility like yes that's that's going to be great for visibility and showing like who's who's there and who you're thinking about but if it doesn't match who the actual I guess you know workplace or organization or the community you're serving is then it then it's it doesn't mean much you know it and I've I kind of I've had situations where I've been like yeah the only person of color or the only trans person of color in organization and you know my friends other trans people of color have asked me like how is it like working there or doing this work with this person or this organization and I'm like yeah like this work is really amazing but it is just me and I would love for you to feel like you could you know come along and join and volunteer but like it's it's still really hard like yes the work the output what, what it looks like is awesome but I'm still struggling um you know I'm supporting I need the support that I'm giving, but I'm not quite getting that because there's no other people of color to talk to, or there's no uh, kind of infrastructure to to support me in terms of like, yeah, continuing the work or having trans support. So um, yeah, it really matters. It, it it matters for you know the workers, and I think there's you know we get taken advantage of quite a lot because we have connections to communities because. Our communities are smaller we are much more connected we do talk about how you know experiences and and navigating other other communities but um i think why i kind of was in this positions one of the reasons why i was in this position is because i didn't realize my worth and i didn't realize oh wow these this is you know this experience really mean uh, has a lot of value um, probably why I didn't write a book about it to start with, because I'm like, well, what, what, what is this? Like, it doesn't mean anything. I'm just talking about myself, but actually it carries so much value and so much information as to how organizations can improve and what they need to do to include people of color and trans people of color. Um, but if they're doing that without the trans people of color, then it will, it will look good and it will work for a little bit, but it will, it won't have the longevity and sustainability that we actually need and that we actually know how to do. Yeah. For sure. I think that that's just seems like common sense. But if you look at most businesses, like, you know, the, the people of color are on the bottom rungs a lot of the time, like the CEOs are still generally cis white men most of the time. And occasionally you'll have a woman in there. But like, you know, if your organization is having diversity and inclusion officers and they're the people of color, but that's it. That's the only person of color in the organization. That is a massive fail. Like you can't just have policies yeah and that's it like you actually have to involve the rest of it and it seems like that message hasn't gotten out there a lot of the time sometimes so you do you do have practical tips in the book as well and you know I think that's that's really important for people to educate themselves because like you said it's like people of color a lot of the times like you're you're viewed as a walking wikipedia sometimes and you know you you have to be the one to educate everyone so it is great to to have that there but it's just yeah it, it it's a hard balance of like you've you've got this amazing resource but you have to get people to listen to it as well so it's like it feels like extra work and that's obviously where allies come in and I even hate the word ally it's just like just common sense and just basic human 
interaction you don't need a special fancy cookie for doing it you just <laughs> do it like but... yeah i i feel the same way about this word i use it and i sometimes i don't use it sometimes I explain why i don't use it and i use it anyway i just yeah but i think i've i've just and i think you know you said earlier about these words like diversity and inclusion and they're like buzzwords and it's i think it, i've just learned to like just understand who I'm trying to talk to and what's going to actually work for them to listen because the message is going to be the same if I need to use this word then I will use it I'll captivate you and then I will hopefully blow you out of the water but yeah it's um yes allies supporters people who want to work in solidarity with us are super important in getting this on these these resources out there yeah for sure and I think going going forward then you know as we hopefully emerge from the pandemic um I will try not to say that too loud in case COVID hears um going back <laughs> like even you know in, in queer spaces you know like do they have you know diversity officers like what are what are their approach because obviously you've got the corporate world and the therapeutic world which you're part of and um religious spaces but then like there's so many different elements that we need to tackle. It's like a little domino effect thing we need to get moving on. I mean, like, are the pride organizations very diverse or are they still pretty much catered to kind of the RuPaul version of queerness? <laughs> I've heard that one before. Um, I don't, I don't know. And I think, hmm. I don't want to say I don't have much faith in what's happening, but it's more because I, I'm I'm more connected to queer and trans people of color communities. So I generally have stepped out of kind of mainstream kind of LGBTQ uh, events and uh, organizing kind of spaces. I mean, part of that reason is because I didn't feel represented and I did, I have, yeah, I lost, I mean, lost faith a while ago and I guess I realized that I don't actually, maybe I don't need those, those kind of spaces or that kind of visibility or representation as much, but I do know how much it still matters. Like, I think I'll have my own views about kind of mainstream pride or corporate pride as some people call it. But when I, you know, working with young people, I I can't kind of ignore it or turn my back from it because I can see how much it still matters to some of them. So, I mean, I know as as an organization, um, Colors Youth Network and GR Gender Intelligence, we do our best to work alongside like bigger mainstream prides and other LGBTQ organizations to make sure that there is going to be spaces for us and they are listening to us and including our young people. Um, and I guess yeah i guess that's that, that's what i know and, and it feels good to be able to do that as part of an organization um again it's like a, about the kind of yeah allyship and having the having i, I can't I don't, I don't know the words i've just got this image of like a bunch of people like behind me that kind of like support of like a whole community behind you yeah, yeah. lifting you up yeah mm-hmm. and and or dragging you along one or the other <laughs> some days it's both <laughs> and some days it's a a mixture of it as well yeah you also talk about class in the book and I think that's really really important because sometimes we try and pretend we don't live in a classist society and of course we still do but class intersects with race and gender quite a lot and that can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people to to have that conversation so what Mm -hmm. are your thoughts around class then 
one of the reasons why I wanted to include class in the book was because it is uncomfortable to talk about. Um, and I've often said when I am um, public speaking is, you know, I want, I want people to be uncomfortable with what I'm talking about because that's how people change. And that's how, that's how any of our own ideas change. You know, if you're comfortable, then you'll, you'll stay there. You'll remain there because it's, it's great. Super. So yeah, I mean, I know, of course I haven't included enough in it and, um, I will have missed things, but it's so, and I'm, I'm speaking also as a middle-class person, I'm, I'm going to miss things. And, but it's so, because it is so tied up in, in other parts of identity. Yeah. Sexuality, race, as, as you said, and gender. And also it feels like it's something that is, you know, it's cultural and it's also financial and it's, it, it just, it has, it just has this kind of like, I guess maybe not fluid, fluidity is not the right word, but it, it's some parts of it change and some parts of it don't, but, um, it is hard to talk about. And I don't feel like we are doing, doing ourselves justice by ignoring the massive divides of class in, within, uh, LGBTQ communities. Um, yeah, I couldn't not include it. Yeah, well, it's accessibility as well of, you know, you're talking about Pride and stuff and there's a lot of people who can't afford to go to Pride or are cleaning up after Prides as well. So we need to have those conversations too. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, going forward, you know, if you had your your dream sex education out there in the world and we can always hope uh, that sometimes it it might happen, how would you like to see... um, you know, you know, like um, trans people are represented in that kind of sex education that in your dream world. <laughs> mm. That's a really interesting question, because I I've often thought about like my experience as like learning. Um, I, I've often thought about my experience of sex education at primary school, but I've never th- and secondary school, but I've never thought about what that would look like if it was trans inclusive. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I couldn't relate to it at all. It was like, it was, yeah, it was, as you probably expect, it was very heterosexual and just really, yeah, very odd and very focused on like, yeah, the man's pleasure and so on. Hmm. I mean, it made me really, it made me really self-conscious about my body and how much I didn't fit any of that, what I was seeing physically, emotionally, um, sexually as well. So I think just having more representation, like different body diversity and that just being there because it's also like the thing that I remember the most is the visual aspect of, of this. I didn't really pay attention to what they were saying or if there was much that that they were saying on the, on the tape. Um, yeah, so in primary school, it was this, I don't know, I don't know if I like remember this wrong, but it was like this in my mind, my memory, it's this like sparkly (laughs) black truck that came onto site and we all went into it and sat down and there was just like this film that we watched. Um, and then, yeah, it was just a really strange experience. That Um, kind of sounds like a dream. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely wasn't a dream. Um, and I remember we were like hanging out in the library afterwards and we were just laughing about like this man's willy and we were like, oh, it's so pink. It's like a little sausage. And, and we were just, it was just really, it was just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> then, 
and we were like three, like six or seven, or some age, or year four. No, year four it was, yeah. And then um, in secondary school, it was um, like the physical, practical demonstrations of like how to put on a condom on this like dildo and all these other things. And I just kind of took it as a joke because I was like, well, I'm at the time I was identifying as a lesbian. I'm like, well, this doesn't mean anything to me. So let me just goof around in class. Um, so, so I did. Um, and then, yeah. And then, you know, I, I turned to, L, you know, LGBTQ pornography to, to learn about what is, what does sex look like for somebody like me? Where do, where do I find my body in this because it doesn't look like anything in mainstream porn. It doesn't look like anything I've been taught at school. It doesn't I don't so I don't get it. And I think that just as a as a girl, I just felt fed into like, well, I'm not desirable then. No, you know, I'm not attractive, and therefore I don't have any value because that's you know really uh, a high pressure that a lot of uh, young women and girls face. So I think just something that's not so focused on yeah the physicality of of sex and also having just representation it just yeah I, it's the third time i've said it already but like it matters so so much it's just those things that you remember it's you know it's, it's you see something that looks like you or looks like different to what you normally see and you then it's like this it's the it's a permission that oh it, i can exist and that's okay um which is what i really needed to to hear at the time i mean, i love that you know, despite all those failings and, and you have been failed by all that, that the cis heteronormative world, you have turned that into something lovely and, and created such a lovely resource so that other people don't have to have those same experiences. So I think that's just incredibly powerful. You shouldn't have had to do it and you should have been able to rest and lie on your couch and eat fried chicken and watch your LTTV all weekend all the time. <laughs> But I do appreciate that you have turned that into something positive. And I think that's really um, a sign of people who are, you know, authentically changing the world. And I think that's really important to acknowledge that that's what you're doing, not oh. just for no, I'm not getting gushy, but like not just for trans people, but for like you said, for family members or people who want to support them or bosses who do actually want to be a good boss and, and create a better world. So I think, you know, we don't move forward without people like yourself, um, you know, putting amazing resources out there in the world but i do hope you get a well-deserved rest uh, after all of this so um where can people find the book it's a fantastic book supporting trans people of color it's a gorgeous cover as well on it so yeah thank good you to that. i picked out the colors oh, fabulous <laughs> <laughs> um you can find out more um i mean it's should be stocked to i um like Amazon, Wordery, um, uk.bookshop.org also um, supports local bookstores all over the UK as well. And um, it is currently sold out at the moment, which is amazing. Yes, congratulations. Kind of, <laughs> this is wild. Um, I found out because I was trying to get myself a stock uh. and then my publishers <laughs> emailed back and they were like, yeah, it's uh, sold out actually. We didn't anticipate to sell this quickly. This is before publication day before wow. the uh, 21st of January. So the last few stashes are um, in Exeter and Brighton, which is where I've got my next couple of book events. It will be reprinted, of course. So yeah, come end of January, beginning of February, you can find it um, in stock again and order it online. 
um ask your bookshop or your local library to get it in stock that is awesome it, you know it counts towards all the sales um and um yeah i think i'll be putting i i've got a link on my website you can buy directly from the publishers um just search or type in the search bar uh sabachowdhury.com forward slash link l-i-n-k perfect cool and you have a twitter as well for people to follow yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Sabah Chowdhury. Facebook, you can find me in Sabah Chowdhury and Instagram, Sabah.c. And I do have a LinkedIn, but I just don't understand it. Yeah, so I don't think you're missing much <laughs> there on, on that one. So no, that's fine. Um, I'll put a link to your Twitter in the show notes as well as your website. So that's fantastic. So listen, go off, go back to that couch, watch some lovely trash TV. And thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat to me. And congratulations on being a sold out author. How incredible is that? Oh, That's thank you so, so much. <laughs> thank you no, so really. much. And I'd encourage all my listeners um, to get it, educate yourself. You know, we are all part of these conversations and we all have that responsibility to educate ourselves. And we are lucky that people like um, Saba have put these wonderful things into the world where we can do that as well. So, um, yeah, you also have a crowdfunder as well, Saba, before we go. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I forgot to mention that um, I'm actually doing all of the kind of book uh, tour events and promo material and everything like that uh, self-funded. So I, I'm really calling on my supporters, my allies, people to help me get this book in front of as many people as possible. You know, three more events, you know, whether that's online or in local bookstores, but also things like, you know, I'm you know, on, um, working behind the scenes on my own podcast as well. I want to make this accessible. So I want to record an audio book as well. Um, and I just need help to do that. So please, if you can donate or share to my crowdfunder, I would really, really appreciate it um, just to help me support yeah, even more trans people of color. Um, and you can find the link to that as well on my website, um, subbachowdry.com forward slash link. Thank fantastic you. fantastic so yeah you know i think you've given us so much value today and if any listeners have felt that value you know throw in the price of a coffee or a little bit more if you can because it all makes a difference you know every little helps as some big corporate corporation has copyrighted their slogan on um but yeah so listen thanks Emil, to everybody please do go check out the book it is called supporting trans people of color and i highly recommend it so enjoy and i'll chat to you next time <laughs>